Well, hallelujah. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. Let our God be praised. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you are looking better this year than you did last year. Well, it's great to have you. It's second Sunday of the new year, and I just commend you for making your involvement in church a part of your spiritual life. How many know church is a vital part of a Christian's life? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling together, the coming together of ourselves, and all the more as we see the day of Christ return upon us. So let me just commend you, make it a priority in this new year to be involved in the house of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Let's pick up where we left off last week. I begin a series called God Still Speaks. Can you say that with me? God Still Speaks. Now that's profound. You say that across the Christian community, the spectrum of believing Christians. A lot of people believe God spoke, but they don't believe He speaks today. And we're going to take an interesting look to see how God communicated with people throughout the pages of the Bible. We're going to see some, some things that are very practical, some things that are very supernatural, but God is a communicating God. Uh, Acts 2 verse 17, and the day of Pentecost, uh, Simon Peter gave this word. This is somewhat of a prophecy for the day in which we live today. He said, in the last days, and how many know they, the New Testament, believed they were in the last days? And if they were in the last days, doesn't it make sense that we're in the latter part of the last days? So this is for us today, certainly. God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And the Holy Spirit is the source of God's communication with us. Rather than the inspiration of the Scripture, or spiritual gifts, or any way that God might speak to you as an individual, the Holy Spirit uh, will pour out his, uh, my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us prophecy is to encourage, to edify, to strengthen the build-up. Literally an inspired word where God would spark someone. It could be given over a microphone, face-to-face, -face, on Facebook, but God speaking encouragement to another person. And then he says, uh, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So this one scripture mentions prophecy and dreams and visions. There's much, much more in the Bible. And I guess I'm an old man because I had a spiritual dream Thursday night. If the young guys were seeing visions and old men were dreaming dreams... And it seemed to have spiritual significance. Now, not every dream is spiritually significant, but many are. It was about 2 in the morning when I woke up, but I was in my dream. I was going across what amounted to a road across a levee, and there were two bridges. And as I crossed the first bridge, the water was very high. It was rushing water. It was floodwaters. And they were, I mean, if you've ever gone across a bridge where the water's high and rushing under it, I mean, you know, it's a little scary thing. I'm walking across the levee towards the second bridge, and the water comes up, and it begins to go over the bridge. So now I'm walking across a bridge that has water coming up across it. So I turn and I begin to go back and the water's coming up the first bridge. I woke up and it was not a pleasant feeling when I woke up. And it didn't take me long to come to un the understanding that it was, it was a picture of a spiritual attack. And as I began to see and kind of come to grips with that about several things that I was dealing with in the midst of the week, then this scripture came to mind. An old from the New King James Version. It says, when the enemy comes in... Like a flood, what happens? The Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard. So this is happening between 2 and 2.30 in the morning, and then where there was a sense of a little bit of inhibition, a little bit of fear, then faith comes back. Come on, because how many know that's what the Word of God does? 
But that dream kind of awakened me that what I'm dealing with is not just a flesh and blood thing, but the enemy. There's a real enemy in the world that we're living in today. Well, God's a communicating God. Last week, again, we, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit will communicate to us as an individual. Uh, it could come, again, as, as a vision. Uh, a vision is, is a picture. It's something that, you know, you might see in your mind. Uh, Simon Peter had a vision that was like a, a movie almost. You remember we talked about that last week, of the sheet coming down from heaven. Uh, a dream, of course, we understand what dreams are. The most, the most regular way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is what the Bible calls an inner witness or the still small voice or Colossians calls the peace of God. It's acting like an umpire helping in our decisions. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us through other people. It could be a gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. How many know when you talk to a, a Christian and you receive godly counsel, what that godly counsel is is not just something that he learned or she learned in seminary or Bible school or psychology, but it could well be to help you make a decision inspired by the Holy Spirit. So God communicating through another person. But the primary way that God communicates, the foundational way that God communicates is through the written Word of God. Let me say it again. The foundational way that God communicates with us is through the written Word of God. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the voice of Scripture. And I want to encourage you to, to see the Bible this morning. I'm going to challenge you this morning about how you look at your Bible. When I was young, my mom had given me a Bible. It was a little King James Version Bible. It had black binding on it. It had a zipper around it, a little cross on the zipper. I remember it because it always stood on my shelf. When I joined the Navy and received Christ as my Savior, Gideon gave me a New Testament. I have it to this day. It is a beat-up book. I mean, the backing is coming off of it. The, the pages are tattered and torn. There's writing all in it. There's pictures. There's illustrations. There's all on it because, listen, I would just devour that book. I can remember many times when I'd be on a watch in the middle of the night and, and walking around the floor of the barracks making sure folks were behaving, I would read through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus and, and just couldn't wait to read more, walking and reading as the Word of God was speaking to me and I was, and I was gravitating towards it. So I'm going to challenge you this morning about the place the Bible has in your life. And I'm going to kick it off with a little funny commercial back from the 70s and uh, maybe this will put a little smile on your face. So take a peek and then we'll be in the Bible together. Now that looks like a very interesting situation. My broker is really enthusiastic about it. What does your broker say? Well, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says... When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Okay, how many remember the 70s and E.F. Hutton here? Let me see your hand. How many have no clue what I'm talking about? Let me see your hand. You just missed it. One of the greatest generations in decades that came. Well, kind of funny commercials, a guy making money. And the point was, it was an invested investment firm, a brokerage firm. And basically, the gist of the, of the commercial was, is we can tell you how to make money. And if you'll call our brokers, they'll tell you where to put your money, what stock, what bond, what venture to get into, and you're going to make lots of money. And, of course, the sense in all their different commercials was, whenever you heard the voice of E.F. Hutton, everybody stopped what they were doing. They reoriented their lives, just like on the airplane. They, they all got around because they wanted to listen, and the implication is when they heard it, they were going to do what it said. And how many know that if we respond that way to E.F. Hutton, how many know we should respond to God in a, in a way that just far eclipses that, that when God is speaking to us 
through His Holy Scripture, through the Word of God, we should listen eagerly what it says and embrace it and act upon the Word of God. Well, that's where we're going this morning, the voice of Scripture. And I want to first take a few minutes to give you kind of a little Bible background that underscores the fact that you can trust the Bible. Now, let me first tell you, because it's a big, it's a big statement to say that this is God's Word. And it is certainly not accepted universally across America any longer. It was at one time in our history. I was listening this morning to, uh, on my way to, to, to church, a message from David Barton, and he was recording speeches from George Washington and John Hancock and other people, and literally Benjamin Franklin. Uh, their whole discourse was nothing but a recitation of Scripture because culture was built on the Word of God, but no longer in America today. You know, the Bible says of itself in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in the Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding, or that is, from human initiative. But these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they... Now, that's a big deal. We're talking about the men in the, in the Scripture, the women. We're talking about Elijah. We're talking Elisha. We're talking Moses. We're talking even King David. We're talking Micah. We're talking Zechariah. We're talking men that had words to their generation and also men that had words to the generations to come that these men were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote these words to their generation, but they have application to us. The New Testament, 2 Peter 3.16 says, All Scripture is... Inspired by God or God breathed. Now, what does that mean? That somehow God used a person. He moved upon them to write both in the language and the culture of their day, but to communicate a message to them for the people. Now, we as Christians, uh, probably most of us here today, embrace that without exception. But I'm going to challenge you to go deeper in this, but I particularly want to appeal to any of you that are here today that don't really know if you can trust the Bible. That for you, you have a lot of questions about the Bible. Maybe, maybe you've heard some really smart people say the Bible's not true. Science disproves the Bible. There's contradictions in the Bible. Blah, 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 blah. Well, how many know just because the Bible says that it's true, yeah, well, okay, you can question that a little bit. But let me share with you some, some facts that will challenge your mind to hopefully you'll come to a place that you'll see this far greater than the voice of E.F. Hutton. Let me give you just a few here. The Bible, of course, and this needs to get our attention. The Bible is the most popular book in the history of mankind. An estimated two to three hundred million are printed every year. Every year. That's not counting electronic versions now. Since the Bibles began to be printed on the Gutenberg Press, well, even before that, of course, the scribes and things, they estimate upwards of 6 billion, with a B, 4 to 6 billion Bibles have been printed. That's a big, 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 big deal. 66 books of the Bible, now think about this, 66 books comprise this one book, written over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, but it all bears witness to one central theme, and one central person. Come on, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to get 10 people in this room, much less 10 people across America, and say, write me 1,600 pages in perfect harmony and agreement that's, that follows the passion of your heart, you couldn't get past the first chapter. 
because we are so different in America today. We're different politically, we're different economically, we're different in our outlook of life, we're different in our values, we're different in the taste of music, blah, 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 different in everything. But this one book written 1,600 years, 40 different people who didn't, most of which didn't know each other, come on, three different continents and cultures, and you know how culture changes over time. But yet they all bear one common theme. Over 24,000 manuscripts that were copied from the originals that we have in existence today that bear witness to this book. Tens of thousands more than any other document of ancient history that we just take for granted. The Bible is the book. Over 900 English translations. Over 1,400 languages around the world and, and works are afoot today to put this, language, this Bible in the every language of every people group on the planet. The Bibles we sent to Mexico were in the Sotzil language of the, of the uh, Mexican people. This book is different. This book addresses the great questions of life. Where did we come from? How did everything that I see, how did it get here? Is there a God? If there is a God, what is He like? What does He require of me? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? See, all these things are addressed in the Bible. But you might say, well, you know, all religions have their holy books. They do. But there is something, this next step of the Bible, that no other book has when it comes to fulfilled prophecy. Now, we think prophecy is a pretty cool thing. Lots of people were banking on the fact that the world was going to end on December 21st because the Mayans, of course, they knew back then, right? And their calendar stopped, so that means the world was going to stop. I mean, no, the way that you know a true prophecy is that it happens. Now, listen to this. This is from a, a book by CBN. You can see it online. Biblical prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. The Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, contains over 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Now, think of this. Remember Christmas time? I read to the kids, 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Micah, that predicted the town where Jesus would be born. How can you even know? That's twice as long as America has even been in existence. How can you know the name of a town in a state that didn't even exist, come on, that would be in operation and people would be living there? Isaiah, off the chart, wrote in Isaiah that there would be a virgin would give birth to a baby. Now, maybe you could argue that in America today with in vitro fertilization, but not in the days of Christ. And we could go on and on and on and on. We could talk about the words that Christ quoted on the cross that were written in the book of Psalms. We could talk about the description of Judas and, and selling Jesus for a handful of silver that's prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds of years before he was there. Now, that needs to intrigue our mind because a mathematician, if he tried to come up with the odds of a person fulfilling just, uh, let's see, just eight prophecies in that, time, that uh, span of time, just eight prophecies, the odds of that are one in one quadrillion. Now, a quadrillion is three more zeros than a trillion. Just eight prophecies fulfilled by one person hundreds of years from the time they were given, one in one quadrillion. How about one person fulfilling 48 prophecies? 48, the odds are one chance to 10 to the 157th power. Now, that's 157 zeros. That's about 50 blocks of three zeros, comma, that would wrap around the page of your computer if you were writing it out till your hand got tired. That's 48. Imagine what it would be to, to 300 prophecies. 
It's almost like saying every day of your life you're going to be struck by lightning. Every day of your life you're going to get up, you're going to run to the car, and you're going to be struck by lightning. Now there's a chance you're struck by lightning if, come on, if you're duck hunting. I went duck hunting yesterday, it was raining, and if a thunderstorm had come up and you're holding a little metal stick in the air, now that's a possibility. But how are you going to get struck by lightning if it's a bluebird day and there's a sunny sky? It was impossible. That's the same thing we're talking about here. This could not have happened unless God were behind it. This is a trustworthy book. Archaeology backs up the Bible. Archaeology, you could go and you could study this, a great website, ChristianAnswers.net. Archaeologists, of course, they're digging up, they're finding evidences of Bible places and Bible people. Just the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. They have found archaeological evidences of him in Galatia, Philippi, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, all the places that he traveled. How about the fact that, can you explain to me how people in, 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 in places where it's illegal to have the Bible, persecuted places, against the law to become a Christian, why will they do anything to get a copy of the Bible? We're told that the average Christian could have his eight, seven, eight, up to ten different Bibles in their possession. But in North Korea, communist North Korea now, the Christians don't have Bibles like that. Here's what they do for Bibles. They get toilet paper and they write down verses of the Bible that somebody gives to them and then they give their copy to somebody else because it's so important to them. Why would someone risk going to prison by owning a Bible? There's a pastor in an Iranian jail, another pastor now. He's a Christian pastor. He's an American citizen. Our State Department is doing very little at the moment. He's married to an American woman. He, 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 he has become a citizen, but he's in jail now, and they threaten to hang him simply because he's a Christian and won't renounce his Christian faith. He's someone that embraces the Bible. Why would you give your life for that book? I'll tell you why. It has the words of life. Simon Peter said to Jesus Christ, you have the words of eternal life. There's something different about this book that demands not only my attention to it, but demands my, my obedience to it. Now let me say this. People will tell you, and they'll try to tell you the Bible is not true. People will try to talk you out of it. It could be at a party and everybody's, most people, hopefully not you, but you've got a can of beer, there's a joint going around the room, and they're saying, oh, the Bible's a bunch of fairy tales. It was just written by people. Maybe it's a coach trying to propel you to greatness, and that coach you have great respect for, they try to talk you out of the Bible. They say, listen, you, uh, God's not out there. He's not going to help you. You've got to make it your own in life. Maybe it's a college professor, the smartest person you ever met. How many of you can be an educated idiot, though? The smartest person you've ever met in a classroom that tells you God is not real. Let me warn you of this. Be careful of who t you take advice from. Because some people have made some huge, huge decisions and given the wrong advice, and your eternal soul is at stake. Let me, let me illustrate this, how, how bad advice can be. 1954. 1954, a music manager told a young singer after he'd auditioned, you're not any good, go back to driving a truck. Who do you think that was? Elvis Presley. He had one billion followers, fans, when he died. He didn't even have Facebook. How about this one? 1962, a record company told a group of singers, we don't like your sound. Groups with guitars are definitely on their way out. The Beatles. 
Can you imagine what a group of idiots they were when they saw the success? Just because somebody tells you the Bible's not true may not be accurate themselves. And let me suggest this. If you're a skeptic in any fashion, you can, you can pursue the Bible one or two perspectives. One is you could pursue it optimistically with a little faith and, and see and listen to people like myself that's telling you that it is true. Or you could come from the other route saying, listening to all the people that tells you why it's not. The problem is, is if you go that route, they're not going to give you anything else. Come on. You follow my wife's Facebook, and you see a woman of faith, come on, diagnosed with breast cancer. But you see a woman that is, that is filled with faith and confidence, that is sleeping beyond the pain now, sleeping through the night, come on, and has the confidence for tomorrow. Now listen, thank God for good doctors, but her faith is not in the doctor, come on, it's in the author of this book. So I'm telling you, this book can introduce you to that very God. So for all of us, the Bible deserves and demands our attention. Now let me spend the last of my time here uh, telling you, again, the, the title of the message the voice of Scripture. So let me tell you first how the Bible speaks to the world out there. That is, how the Bible would speak to our culture, what's going on, and how I interpret it and respond to it. And secondly, we'll talk about how the Bible speaks to the world in here, the choices I make and how I live my life. Let's talk about the world out there first. Mark chapter 6, verse 17. John the Baptist and King Herod... King Herod sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Now, Herodias was his new wife. He had divorced his first wife and married his brother, half-brother Philip's wife because Philip's wife was hot, come on, and his wife was not. And he wanted her, and he divorced her, married Herodias. Uh, verse 18, John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. He was simply quoting Leviticus 18, 16 that said, you shall not, you know, you shall not uh, marry your brother's wife. But think about this. The audacity of this man to approach this most powerful king and say what you're doing is wrong. Not as a bigoted perspective, not as a self-righteous perspective, but as someone who cared about another person to say you're going in the wrong direction. And he was influenced by what God said, come on, not by what was being practiced around him. Now, if you say that in America today, if you were to say what somebody is doing, their lifestyle is wrong, you'd be called a bigot. You'd be, they would ask you, what right do you have to be able to tell me how to live? Who are you? Uh, and in today's world, depending on what you say, you might be called a racist. I mean, everything is a racist today. Even when people of the same color skin, you're, everything is racist today. It's racist, uh, it's hate speech. That's a big, big, big word that covers everything. It's racist and hate speech. Who are you to tell me? Well, here's what I suggest the Bible tells you. You and I have responsibility to interpret what's going on in the world through the lens of Scripture. And when we interpret it through the lens of Scripture, we have a responsibility to tell the world what's right and what's wrong. See, the Bible tells us in Timothy, they'll put it on the screen, that Scripture is inspired by God. It tells us what's right, come on, and it corrects us when we're wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And the Bible tells us that we're to be salt and light in the world. Let your light shine, which simply means you need to be a proclamation of truth in the world because you care about people. Listen, if you care about Herod and what Herod is doing and Herod's choices are going to lead him into a ditch or going to push him far away from God and you care about Herod, you should care enough to tell him the truth. 
And the power of God's Word has the potential to convict us and turn our hearts towards God. A number of years ago, I, I had LASIK surgery, and I thank God for it. But before that, my eyesight was so bad up close, uh, my alarm clock, unless I just got that close to it, I couldn't tell what time it was. But I put my glasses on, and it became crystal clear. Can I suggest to you the Bible does that very thing for culture? And we look at our culture out there, and we're going, is it right? Is it wrong? Every, I think all these people are doing it. It must be right. But all of a sudden, you put the lens of Scripture on, and you see what God says about it. Come on. It's not the opinion of, 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 of people. It's not the voice of the majority, but it's the eternal truth of God. Come on. And then you can proclaim what's right and what's wrong. You see, we need to be a voice in culture. In case you didn't know it, America is broken. America is in a ditch, and she is imploding in on herself. I read yesterday there's a group of, they bought several thousand acres of land, I think in Wyoming or Idaho, somewhere out west. They're going to build a compound, come on, because they're scared of the world around them and they want to share values. Listen, our world is in trouble, friend. And when the culture is talking about something, we owe it to them to share God's word with them, come on, in a loving way, but in a truthful way. How about the murders at Sandy Hook? How about 22, I think, innocent children gunned down? How about six teachers that were there as well? Now, when you listen to what went on today, pretty much what you hear is the reason that happened is because a guy had a gun. And the solution is, let the guys uh, take the guns away and the violence will go away. Now, listen. That same day in China, a guy took a knife and killed 20 people. You didn't hear about that. I read recently that as many people are killed, more people are killed in America from knives and clubs and such than guns. The issue is not just how many people are being killed, but there's an agenda behind that. You know what I don't hear? Every once in a while I hear, but I rarely hear in this discourse on guns. What I don't hear is the root cause is spiritual, that people commit a, a, the act of murder because it comes from the evil, wicked heart of man. And the first murder was Cain killed Abel in the Bible. Come on, the chapter before, it's a perfect place in Eden. Sin comes into the world, and then Cain gets angry at his brother and kills him. So we address the problem, come on, with a human band-aid, and we never get to the core, and the culture doesn't encourage, come on, an accurate assessment. The culture doesn't have the right glasses on, so it comes up with the wrong solution. See, we need to be speaking that. Let me share with you a couple radio spots that I'm doing, our church is doing in, in this issue. Go ahead and play them real quickly. Our nation was shocked when 20 innocent children were murdered at a school. Instead of blaming guns, perhaps we should blame the godless culture we raise kids in. We removed God's commandment forbidding murder and replaced it with violent video games and songs. We removed the fear of consequences when we told them there's no judgment day. Evolution and abortion teach them that human life is meaningless. What we're doing is not working. We need to return to God's ways. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. Last December, 20 innocent children were murdered at school. We're rightfully outraged and demand change. On the same day, over 3,000 innocent children died a horrible death under the protection of unjust laws. They didn't die from a gun. They died when drugs, saline solution, a suction tube, or forceps invaded the womb they lived in. Sandy Hook was a tragedy, but so is abortion. Do you care? On the anniversary of Roe vs. Wade, let's commit to protect all our children. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. Okay. All right. 
Thank you, but you don't need to do that. I have a platform on radio. I have a platform up here. But you have a platform in life as well. A platform is simply your ability to influence. Whether it's something as, as, as disconnected as Facebook or whether it's you're the coach of a ball team, come on, or you're a fan in the stands. People are talking about these issues in our culture, and we need to enter, engage the argument. We need to be the modern-day John the Baptist talking to the Herods around us. How about same-sex marriage? Now, you want to talk about a polarizing thing in America today? Listen, this is one that's just in your face right now. And, buddy, if you speak against that, whammo. Now, I'm not going to go back and re-preach God's perspective on it. I think, you know, you can go back and, and, and figure that out for yourself. I mean, I've talked about it a lot. But listen, our world is wrong. When men marry men and women marry women, and uh, call me a bigot, call me whatever you like, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. But our world is confused. And listen, if you are under 30, if you are under 30, polls indicate that you are more likely to believe that same-sex marriage should be a law in our land because no one should be discriminated against. No one, listen, everybody should have the same rights. And nobody should hate you and stop you from doing anything. Can I tell you, the reason why under 30 thinks that way is because our culture has not given you a biblical worldview. We have not taught you to look at life through the lens or the glasses of the Bible. We've let modern culture influence your thinking. But it will come around if you and I stand for truth. Time magazine even declared uh, this past week that abortion, those abortion uh, folks are losing the battle. And they're losing it not just with old folks, but using, losing it with younger people because their arguments, come on, are not sustainable. Because now ultrasounds reveal to us what they didn't know in Roe versus Wade. Now, come on, the Bible said we're created in the image of God. God knit me together in my mother's womb. But a group of judges, based on an agenda, said that is not a person in the womb. You can get rid of the fetal, of the, uh, 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 the fetal matter anytime you want to. But today, ultrasound technology shows us, come on, that little girl, that little boy, that's growing in that womb. And if Christians will just stand for what is right, I'm telling you, friends, it will make a difference. Polls also indicate that, that when our president chose to support same-sex marriage, that the thinking of America began to shift. Can I tell you, pray for our president, God bless him, but he's wrong in this stand. I'd rather look at life through this than anything else. And that's what I'm asking you to think about because this touches hot buttons in our culture. I'm going to ask you, what place is the Bible? Is it a book on the shelf for some things and it's on the plate in others? How I many know it should always be an open book before us? Give the Lord a good hand. Let me give you another one. Matthew chapter 7. Now again, God speaks to us through the Bible about culture, the world out there. But the Bible also speaks to us about the world in here, about our character, about our choices. Listen to what Jesus said as He concluded the Sermon on the Mount. He said these words, and here's the message translation. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They are foundational. Everybody say foundational words. Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies 
and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed, come on, like a house of cards. So that's what the Scripture is saying. Jesus said, who is the living Word of God, the Word made flesh, He said, my words are the foundation for a happy and a secure life. Now, I imagine most of us got here today with a car. Virtually probably 99% of us got here with a car. When you leave this church, you're going to join with probably, I don't know what, maybe 25,000 cars, 30,000, 40,000 cars on the road in Texarkana. And we're going to be going north and south and east and west. And, whew, whew, whew. and the only thing that keeps us safe and to arrive at our destination is a stoplight and a go light. And that stoplight that has green, yellow, and red, I suggest to you, is just like the Bible. And I suggest to you that when you go through the green light, you're typically okay and safe, but if you go through a red light, you'll crash into a wall. And how many know the Bible should be able to guide our decisions, come on, just like the stoplight or the go light guides the way you, run your, your, you drive your car? You got a little quiet on me this morning. How about, how about, let's take sex in America today. Everybody likes sex, right? No, don't answer that, okay? okay, okay. We're created to like sex. It's enjoyable. But how many know there's a right way and a right time and a wrong way and a wrong time? Here's the sexual standards in America. Do it with anybody, anytime, anywhere, and it's okay. And when it's not anybody, we're going to try to fix that too, even if it's pedophiles or whatever. We're going to try to make that okay one day. And even if it's not anywhere, we're going to try to make it so that's okay. We'll first start by desensitizing you in your living rooms, and then we want you to accept it in public because, after all, that's what life is about, anywhere, anytime, anybody. That's like driving your car as fast as it'll go, and the light turns red, and you just keep going. What do I mean by that? Let's say you see somebody you like, you can save money if you live together. And, uh, and, and the guy says, hey, well, let's just move in together and try it and see if we like each other. He's asking you to run a red light, girls. How about you meet somebody? You may know them. They may be a stranger. And you look at each other. Yo. Hey, babe. You looking fine. You look so good. Come on with me, girl. You know what she just said? Run that red light. When a doctor gives you a medicine bottle now, my wife, obviously, surgery's got some pain. The first things we did when we got home, we took a piece of paper and we wrote down the antibiotic, we wrote down the pain medication, we wrote this, wrote down that, and when you're supposed to take it. I mean, no, you, don't, you, just, you just don't take pain pills and just... Yeah, but I'm hurting, and I don't feel good. Yeah, but you could end up in a coma. Come on. Yeah, your heart could stop. Your breathing could slow down. You respect the words of the doctor. You respect the morning. Okay. In the Bible, the same way. In your, in, your, in your cabinet, I guarantee you, if I went in your house, and I went where the breakfast food was, I might find Cheerios or whatever, the cereal or, you know, whatever you got there, oatmeal. I would not find rat poison right next to the Cheerios. Well, why, why is that? 
It's because you respect the label of the rat poison and you know it has the potential to take the life of your child and you're going to keep it out of your child's way. If you've got little babies, you put things on drawers so those babies can't open those drawers. Come on. You don't let them go to people's houses because your mom-in-law, come on, she doesn't have those things. And my baby's not going over there and I don't want my baby to get hurt. We respect it. Shouldn't we have the same respect for the Bible? How about GPS? One of the coolest things of modern society is that little GPS. Come on. Where you just get in your car and you either put a type in your phone or you type in the gadget and you say, I want to go to such and such a place. And all you have to do is follow the little cute little voice on the, on the, on the, uh, on the GPS. You know? And when she says turn, you turn. And when she says stop, you stop. And, and, and you get to your destination. But has anybody ever questioned whether the GPS is right? Come on, let me see a hand here. <laughs> I went to see my sister in Memphis over Christmas, and uh, we left as soon as church was over, and, we were, and she was having the family over and have dinner, big tradition we got going. And uh, she lives in East Memphis, and here we're coming from the West, and normally I take 240 around town, and uh, I put it in my GPS, and my GPS, first of all, it takes me on the north side of town. I think, oh, okay, so maybe 240 around the town will be shorter than the southern part of the town. But all of a sudden, it's got me in downtown Memphis. Come on, I'm looking around. I'm making sure my door is locked. And, and, and it's telling me to get off the freeway. And I'm thinking, I stopped at the stop sign. I, I looked ahead of me, and I, there was a sign that said I could get back on 240 over there. And I said, honey, should we get back over there? I don't think this thing is right. I don't know if I should really treat my neighbor the way the Bible says to do it. I mean, after all, they just really acted like a jerk to me. And, and they deserve somebody to put them in their place and get even with them. So I, that's the way I'm going to go. How about voting? Am I, am I a Bible believer? Or am I just going to do what my union tells me to do? Now, I know what I'm talking about here because I got pretty direct during the election season. And people put me in the box. That's just a white man up there. This is racism. I'm leaving. Isn't their job to speak into culture and truth? And listen, we all know that there's not a Christian party there's ungodly Democrats and ungodly Republicans. Come on. And both of them are telling me they're raised or right. But I'll tell you, there's some differences out there. And when you talk about the differences, some people say, I'm not going to listen to you because... Anyway, that was extra. But I'm asking you how the Bible filters into your life. The way you manage your money? Come on. Do I tithe? Do I tip? See, the Bible should affect everything in our life. The GPS, let's get back to that. That was a little more encouraging, okay? <laughs> I'm sitting at that stop sign. I want to go to my sister's house. And fortunately, and I'm running late, by the way, and I said, let's just trust this thing. It put me on a road I didn't even know existed through the heart of Memphis called Something Parkway, and I had about one or two stoplights, and it took me straight to my sister's house and saved me time if I'd have gone the other way. Doesn't the Bible function the same way when we type in the destination heaven? Come on. When we, when, we, when we try to follow God, won't it get us there? 
even if it seems like it's going to be difficult or hard or rub us the wrong way, can you say with me, the Bible works, come on, if I'll just let it speak to my inside world. Give the Lord a good hand, and I'm, I'm about done. Let me, let me wrap up one last scripture. James chapter 1, verse 21. God is speaking, but am I listening? God is speaking, but am I listening? And, and let me say very clearly, I don't suggest to you that everything I say from the pulpit is true. The problem is, I think it is, and if I ever miss something, shoot me a little email or something. Give me the benefit of the doubt, at least, that I'm really trying to tell you what the truth is. Come on. It's easy to preach the Bible from a historical perspective and keep it all in the background, but when you try to bring it up to today's world, come on. And I, I know I make mistakes, but the problem is I don't know when I just made one, so help me out there. Will you do that? James chapter 1, verse 21. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. How many would say that's pretty important? But don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. But if you do what it says, then God will bless you for doing it. Let me close with a, a story, and we'll have a prayer, and then we'll go home. 9-11, the original 9-11 that started all this. About 9 o'clock in the morning, 9-11, an airplane struck the South Tower. There's a man named Brian Clark. It struck the South Tower on the 78th floor and about four or five floors up. Brian Clark, he was a, he was a vice president of a European brokerage firm in the, in the building in his 50s. Airplane struck the building. He said, I thought the whole building was going to fall. The whole building twisted. Air conditioner vents were falling down. Smoke was everywhere. The lights were out. We couldn't see. I fell to my knees and I grabbed a flashlight. Stories in USA Today. I grabbed a flashlight. I looked at one of my friends and I said, let's get out of here. Several other friends were still there. It was five of us. We went into stairway A and we started to go down. As we got down a couple floors, there was a woman that was coming up the stairs. She was accompanied by a man, very frail. Both of them were very troubled. And they said, there's debris below us. The smoke is so thick, you're not going to be able to get through. We need to turn around and we need to go up because surely they're going to send a helicopter to rescue us. He said he shined the light in her face as she gave her argument and three of his friends turned away and said, we're going to go up with her. We're going to go up because we can't go down. Brian and his friends started going down further. It got so bad, one of his friends, DeFrancisco, he said, I can't handle this. I'm going to go up. DeFrancisco gets up to, I believe, the 91st floor. He lays on the ground, he said, for 10 minutes. And all I could think about was my wife and my children, how I, I wanted to see him again. And I was torn to go up or follow Brian's advice and go down. But I, I, I took Brian's advice again, and I, I faced the debris. I, I faced the smoke, and I finally got through it. And he said, DeFrancisco, when I got down to the ground, I looked up and a fireball was coming at me. I threw my hands in my face. It hit me, knocked me to the ground. I woke up three days later in the hospital and come to find out I was the last person that made it out from anyone that was above the 78th floor. Because everyone that tried to go up hoping for the helicopter that never came because the helicopter couldn't come through the smoke and the heat that was emanating from the building. And they all died because they ignored Brian's advice. And then the Bible say, be hearers of the word? No. Don't be hearers, but listen to Brian. Don't be a forgetful hearer, but be a doer of the word. 
because that's where God will bless you. And I tell you, friends, this morning as I close, the Bible is trustworthy. You can build your life on its foundation like Jesus said, building it on the rock. If you do that, friend, to do that, the Bible will help you put on glasses to interpret the culture around you. And I say to you this morning, be like John the Baptist and have the courage because you do have the calling to be salt and light to a world that's very confused. And I say to you this morning, let the Bible speak to your inside world. Let it govern the way that you live your life. Let it govern the choices you make because God will look on you one day and smile. Come on, because the way down is to follow the way of the Scripture. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy to be praised. I'm just a moment long. Give me another minute. We'll close in prayer. I want to ask you to make a commitment with me. This is commitment time of the year. Uh, you're going to get in a couple weeks from now, and you know, you're going to be in the routine that will govern you through the rest of probably up to the summer. But I'm going to ask you today to make a fresh commitment to read your Bible every day. If you forget a day, pick it up the next day. But be a Bible reader. Let God's Word govern your thinking because it is the voice of Scripture that is the foundational way God speaks to us every day. Make a commitment to be a Bible reader. Make a commitment to come to church and hear the Word of God taught. But most importantly, would you make a commitment today that God helping me, I want to be someone that does what God says. I want to obey His Word. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. Why don't you just stand to your feet? Say, Pastor, I want to commit to read His Word. I want to commit to live it and commit to do it. Thank you, Lord. Just give us a little chorus here, and we just want to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and help us. Help every one of us today, Lord. Make a decision today. Give us the grace to stick with it. Help us, Holy Spirit. To be men and women of the book. To have courage like John the Baptist did because Herod's soul is at stake. Thank God. Let me just pray over you. Would you help us? We're just a bunch of guys and girls today standing before you saying we want to do right. And the world pulls us and we get busy, we get tired, and it's hard to make some choices and it's easy to run red lights. But we're saying right now in your presence, we want to do what's right. We want to follow the voice of Scripture. So would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you lead us like a father leads a child and lead us to the right place? Let it be more than just discipline, but Lord, let the Holy Spirit be helping us as we do our part. Jesus name we're going to close with a prayer this morning to give you a chance to act on something you heard I'm fully convinced that the way to end a service is not just to rush out but if God has dealt with you about something that you respond to him and that's what prayer at the end is about if you're here today and there's something in the message maybe you just don't like to read or or maybe it's hard to read the Bible or, or maybe you're in a situation right now that it's hard to, to do what's right Oh, I can't think of a better way to seal this is to say, would you pray with me about this? If God's put his hand on your life, let us pray for you. 
biggest thing this morning we'd like to pray for is if you're away from God and you'd like to commit your life to Christ, you need God's forgiveness. You want God to save you, give you a brand new life and a brand new start. I'm telling you, He can do it. If you'll surrender your life to Christ, if you'll receive Him as your Savior, Jesus will give you a brand new life. My friend, it could happen to you this morning. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me this morning. I want to give my life to Christ. I want Him to give me a brand new life, and I want to do it today. Would you lift your hand real quickly? Do it quickly this morning. I'm out of time today. Say, pray for me, Pastor. God bless you, dear. Pray for me. I want to give my heart to Christ today. Anybody else this morning, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. All right, we're going to begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming right now. Let us pray for you. We'll sing one time and then be dismissed. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you. Somebody's going to give you something to help you. Just tell them. Give her another big hand. God bless you. We're very, very proud of you. You need to be up here with her. You come. If you need prayer for anything, you come. I love you and God bless you. We'll see you next week.